And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Green light 3-0 and she's gone! Welcome to the 3-0 Show, part of the Athletic Baseball Show for Thursday, August 25th. On this episode, we have our latest special guest. It is Caitlin McGrath. She covers the Blue Jays for The Athletic. You've probably heard her on the Spin Rate podcast if you're a Jays fan, or maybe even if you're not, because it's a great show. Caitlin, thanks for joining us. Of course. Thanks for having me. Great timing, because we want to talk about the Blue Jays anyway. There's a lot going on with them, with the AL wildcard race. We're going to dig into that on this episode. We'll get to the NL side, too. We'll talk a little bit about the pursuit of 700 home runs for Albert Pujols and some other things happening, including Josh Hader getting temporarily removed from the closer role by the Padres. But let's start with the Jays. And this is a team that I think is very dangerous, but they do have some questions on the pitching front in particular. I think it's playoff caliber pitching, but it's not necessarily elite pitching right now. Kevin Gossman, great free agent signing. Not a whole lot to dig into there. But I think one question that I haven't heard a lot of people dig into on national baseball shows is Alec Manoa and his workload. He's at 148 and two-thirds innings so far, entering play on Wednesday. I'm wondering how they're going to keep him fresh as he continues to rack up innings because he's such an important part of this rotation when you start thinking about how they'll match up with other teams in the postseason. Yeah, and it started to come up a little bit like in our local internal question sessions with the manager and honestly with Manoa himself. And it's, it's really interesting what the Jays are going to do because they don't have a ton of options to get super creative in terms of having a ton of starting pitching depth. They don't really have that. Uh, And if you look at alternatives, none of the scenarios are great because Alec Manoa, even if he's getting fatigued down the stretch is still a guy that's going to give you the best chance to win, I think, um, versus some of their alternatives. So you look at a guy like you say, Kikuchi, well, he's had a ton of struggles this year with Toronto, just has not been able to sustain any level of consistency. And a couple weeks ago, they made the move to put him in the bullpen for the time being. Um, and so if you were looking at a situation where say you wanted to like skip a start for Alec to like get him some extra rest, like what are you, who fills that start? I mean, maybe you can slot in Kikuchi in a scenario where they're facing a team that is not so great. Blue Jays are in a stretch of schedule where they are facing some weaker opposition. They have Boston this week. I mean, the starters are set for Boston, but they have coming up the angels, the Cubs and the Pittsburgh pirates. So that's, Maybe an opportunity where they can use Kikuchi, just try and get like four innings out of him or five innings out of him. Uh, and maybe you can get some extra rest from Manoa. After that, like they're already using now Mitch White, who was their kind of starting depth guy they got at the deadline to fill in for Kikuchi, who's not in the rotation anymore. And then down at the AAA level, they don't really have any great options. Max Casillo was a guy that was doing it a little bit, but they traded him at the deadline for, I think that was in the Whit Merrifield trade. So they don't have a lot of alternatives. So on the one hand, maybe it's just a situation where they're looking at Alec Manoa's starts. And if they see him having a stressful inning, maybe it's worth just pulling him from that and like not trying to have him out there in very stressful starts. Um, And if it's more of a bullpen day, it's more of a bullpen that day. Like maybe it's just like being selectively careful, but in terms of like trying to plan rest, I think it's actually a tough thing for the Blue Jays to do right now. Not just because as I mentioned, the alternatives aren't great, but also they are playing for their playoff lives to some extent. (laughs) I mean, the AL, the AL wildcard Looks like it's going to be very, very tight right down to the wire. So they don't really have a lot of cushion or room to play with here um, in terms of sacrificing any sort of game uh, and not having your best um, starter out there. 
Yeah, that's a great point. It's it's super close when it comes to the playoff odds. Yes, the Blue Jays are at 95% to make the playoffs, uh, but that relies a lot on projected wins and projected strength, whereas right now, some of that goes out the window. Even as a numbers guy, I'm like, no, it's just you know about winning games, and you can almost just look at the real-life uh, you know, leaderboard to see that the Blue Jays, Rays, and Mariners are almost all in like a virtual tie. And that if any of them falls back at all from their pace, the Orioles are right there about two or three games back. And then you've got the uh, AL Central teams that uh, that could, uh, to, could push you. So they really need to win every day that they can. And I think that's a good point. One thing that I might th- uh, consider doing um, in September, I think they get an extra roster spot um, and two, maybe. I think it's two extra roster spots, but you can only use one on a pitcher. Yeah. here The guy that I would call up is Trent Thornton. Um, and it's not that I think that he's an amazing pitcher. It's just that they've used him in a way that's super interesting and use, useful for them is two inning stints. And I think that you could do a thing where you had Kikuchi for three. It's kind of keeping him between stretched out, between the bullpen. In the in the uh, postseason, you may want to have Kikuchi for two innings, you know? So having keeping him able to do two or three innings, that's useful. Trent Thornton for two innings. Now you got five innings. They might actually be good innings if you only if you only get the best out of Kikuchi. Uh, there was a recent finding that command is actually the thing that goes away first in, in, the, in the course of a start. And I think that's how I understand Kikuchi, where it's like he doesn't have good command to begin with. Mm-hmm. And if you're talking about then, you know, 60, 70 pitches in, it's going to get worse. <laughs> that's a bad proposition. But if you can only use a Kikuchi for like 40 pitches or 50 pitches uh, and, then Th- and then Thornton for another 30, uh, then you might be able to get through five innings having given up you know, two or three runs and they have a good offense. So you, maybe you're not sacrificing as much and that's a quote-unquote bullpen day, but you're keeping Kikuchi stretched out uh, and maybe you give, uh, you give Manoa a blow, but without uh, maybe totally risking the game. But you're right, they got to win the games and Manoa is their, is their best option. So uh, there isn't really someone that you can say, just call that guy up. Uh, yeah, and 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 solve that that way. So, and if and I would just add, if there's anyone that I think that could grind through it, it would be Manoa. <laughs> like he just he's uh, he's been so impressive in the way that he's so so seamlessly transitioned to the majors, and it doesn't feel like he shies away from any challenge <laughs> from anything. But, <laughs> no, from anything. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I would just like uh, if anyone would be able to get through it, and he's such a big dude as well. Like I feel like on the one hand, maybe that is exhausting because you are like a, a big guy. And so you're out there and if it's a hot day, you're sweating a lot, but also like he's in good shape as well. And he, uh, you know, I, th- I don't know if anyone could carry a, a biggest workload that he ever has in his second major league season, I would bet that he would be the guy to do it. Yeah. You look at Alec Manoa and you kind of get the, the CC Sabathia vibes. You're like, this guy's going to be fine. Just keep throwing him out there every fifth day. Uh, I'm wondering if they'll maybe back off from the third time through the order a little bit down the stretch, because if you look for the season, Alec Manoa is tied for 10th in the league in innings pitched the third time through the order. So he gets a lot of use in situations where starters typically are, are removed from games. And his effectiveness does fall off in that split. He's got a 15.1% K rate. That's well below what you'd expect him to get overall. And home runs become a bit of an issue for him there. So maybe the the way to sort of balance things out is to get him out of the game just a little bit earlier. You're still using him every fifth day, but you're not pushing him quite as hard in each start, at least for these next few weeks, because you still got to win. You want to use him, but you don't want to overuse him. Maybe, just maybe that's a solution Let's talk about Jose Barrios, though, for a moment. It's been a weird season for him. The ERA is still over five. The whip at 137. Home runs have been a problem for Barrios overall. It's not typically something we've seen from him throughout his entire career. You know, I'll throw this to you first. Have you seen any signs of a turnaround in the underlying numbers looking at either the pitching plus model or just overall performance? You know, early in the season, uh, he wasn't too far from his historical norms in terms of, you know, his stuff or his strikeouts minus walks or just the sort of underlying stuff, um, the underlying numbers. And so I thought, you know, he's he's going to turn around. He's going to turn around. 
Lately, though, the underlying numbers have changed, and uh, he's put up the worst uh, command uh, numbers of his, uh, I don't know, recent career, basically, uh, in terms of the, uh, the four seam and then sinker. He's really lost command of the sinker. And I do not understand what's going on there other than um, he's rare among pitchers in that he has both a good four seam and sinker. Um, you know, they're both good pitches and it's not really obvious that one is way better than the other. In fact, I, I'm not even sure which one he learned first. Um, I would guess sinker, uh, cause of his arm slot and his curveball. So I would think that he was sinker curve. Uh, but the four seam makes the changeup better. So he needs, it's the, these four pairings that he needs all to be, uh, in the right space. And when he loses command of the fastballs, uh, the other pitches move a ton, so it's not like he's going to use... He can't use that changeup to, to steal strikes. And the curveball's really big. You know, it's a big, breaking curveball. It's not a great pitch to use to steal strikes. So he still can fall into something where I need to throw the fastball, one of my fastballs, for a strike here. And if he can't, that's when I think he gets into trouble. At least, most recently, the last two starts that were really bad were his the worst uh, location numbers... Uh, for his fastballs in in my model's history for him, so I, I I don't know. Before that, I think there might have been some some bad luck, and now it's maybe manifested into something larger. Caitlin, I know you've had a chance to speak to Jose recently about this. So, what is he attributing his overall struggles this season to? Even talking to him and just like talking to people around the Jays, um, it feels like it is a bit confusing in that like they're like you know said like there are some numbers that like we're very similar to what he's been doing in the past. And like some underlying numbers, like spin and, and velocity, like aren't really that much different. And I think it does really come down to the fastball command. And that is sort of when he gets into trouble. I think that's the biggest thing. And like, you know, said it's like those other pitches, those secondary pitches work off the fastball. And I think when we've seen him at his best, it's always been when he's locating the sinker inside off and, and like the, the fastball up usually, but it's, it's also got to be very specific. Like I remember um, there was a pitch where I think it was Josh Naylor and I think he's a good high ball hitter anyway. And so it was a pitch that was in somewhat of a good spot. It was high up, but like not against that guy. And so I think there's been some sequencing and maybe some pitch calling um, things that didn't go well for him as well. Like I think that all factors in. So it, it, it's been a weird year. And I think that honestly, the, the gist around the Jays is that it's almost been more like confusing than concerning, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, on the one hand, they did sign him to a seven year deal and this is not the way you want that deal to start. On the other hand, he's only 28. I think he's still on the relatively young end of a pitcher still in those prime years, I would say. And he's very athletic. Like you see him on the mound and, um, the way that he fields balls, the way that he can run and all that kind of stuff. It's he's, he's such an athletic type of pitcher. And so I think there's a lot of faith in that because you're dealing with a guy that, you know, is in good shape and, and seems like he can get back into that good rhythm. I think the other thing is that the blue Jays and probably all clubs are like this, but certainly the blue Jays. And when I've been talking to them, they're always looking for ways in which, are pitchers tipping pitches. And so like that was one hypothesis with Brios as well. Is like, was he doing something, just any little thing that was giving guys, um, you know, a kind of hint, especially like there was also like, I guess in the Cleveland start, which is, you know, was re- referencing one of his worst starts of the year was um, Jose, uh, yeah, Jose Ramirez hit like a changeup that was like at the, it was like in the dirt and he just completely golfed it. And so I was like, is that luck? Did he know the changeup was coming? Like all this kind of stuff. So you're kind of like wondering. So I think there's been some adjustments with Brios where he's holding his hands and his glove um, and maybe trying to hide the ball a little bit more. So just, it's not like they knew he was tipping, but like if that was possible, they want to get ahead, ahead of it as well. And so we saw him against the Yankees and he looked really good. The thing that's been, confusing about Brios this year is that he's had these really really good starts and I don't have the numbers in front of me but I know like when so a he, he's actually been I think they're the Jays have a winning record I think he's like seven maybe they're like 17 and six or 17 and eight or something like that when he's on the mound so they actually are winning a lot 
when he's there um sometimes it's just been like this weird coincidence where they like come back and they win these like wild games there was a game against the angels that they came back and won that first game of the year against texas they came back and won big um and so there's been some of that a little bit this year but I think that the the hard thing about Brios and what I've tried to maybe capture and maybe I'm continuing to try and capture about him is that like anytime there's been an encouraging sign, it's hard to be like, okay, he's back because then he'll just throw in one of these clunkers. Like all of July, he was really good and it looked like, mm-hmm. okay, we've put the first half behind us. He is looking like the old Brios again. And then he comes out in August and has his two worst starts of the year. And then against the Yankees, he's great. And so he's pitching uh, on Wednesday night against the Red Sox. What Brios is going to show up? Like that's kind of been the story of his year. Like we don't know which Brios is going to show up. Yeah, I think it's, it's pretty fascinating. I think the way you described it up top, confusing rather than concerning is is where I've sort of landed on it from afar too it just doesn't doesn't seem like enough has changed in the wrong direction for him to be quite this bad overall even if he's not the the player he was at his peak right now if he's a 375 ERA sort of pitcher that's a lot better than what he has been uh, to this point okay I wanted to ask you about Ross Stripling he is having a career year 284 ERA 104 whip 80 Ks against 16 walks. And I just saw this tweet uh, from our colleague Andy McCullough uh, yesterday. Ross Stripling was, was chatting with Zach Grinky recently. And Grinky said, man, I really think the Blue Jays are using you right. So Stripling asked him what he meant. And Grinky said, they don't let you go through a third time. That's perfect for you. And Stripling, kind of confused, just said, thank you. Which, <laughs> n- knowing how Grinky talks to people, like, you could imagine that exchange was is exactly as awkward as it was uh, shared there. But it is working really well right now for Ross Stripling. He's doing things that maybe people would have expected Barrios to do in his absolute best sort of season. So uh, how is he doing it? And how sustainable do you think Stripling's performance is, given the way they've been careful about exposing him to a lineup that third time over i'll leave room for eno to talk about this because i think he was on a toronto radio station recently with our friend blake mm-hmm. um, murphy talking about i probably stripling's change up so i'll leave that to you but just in terms of maybe what he's brought to the blue jays i mean at the start of the year he was a valuable piece in that having a swing man is a valuable piece for any team a guy that can shift from the rotation to the bullpen and and do all these different roles is great and stripling has done that in the past and he's been very good at doing that but he basically had to step in almost immediately for injuries hunjin ryu mainly uh, early on in the year, and then when ultimately it was ruled that Hanjin Ryu would be out for the season, Ross Stripling just took that rotation spot and, and ran with it, honestly. And and it's funny because he's actually been a starter for the most part when he's, when he's been with Toronto. I think in the Dodgers organization, he, he actually pitched out of the bullpen a lot more. The situation in Toronto has just been injuries and stuff, so he's actually been mostly a starter. And this year he's really come into his own. I think it's, it's partly that change-up that I think has been really effective this year. It's also his ability to really like game plan, but also adjust in game, even against the Red Sox. He did that yesterday talking about how he kind of noticed early on that uh, the righties were getting to his uh, away pitches. And so he kind of shifted and started pitching inside a little bit more. And that was effective. And the thing with him that's so, so um, useful is that he has all these different pitches and he can use them in basically every quadrant he can throw different pitches to different guys. And so he keeps guys guessing a lot. And I think he's done the best job of that this year. Uh, I think that probably it's a confidence thing that's just growing. I think that there probably is an impact of not having to switch that role. I think we give so much credit to the fact that he could do it and that's great. And he was really good at doing it, but look at what he can do when he's actually just given a consistent role. I mean, I think it's just a comfort thing. You get into a really good rhythm and he's been huge for the blue Jays this year. Like, you know, I, I think that actually, like, just to bring it back to Brios, like, I think if you're the Blue Jays, and let's just say you get into that wild card series and you have three games and you split the first two, I think there's a conversation of who's getting game three. I think that it depends on a lot of things. I think that it's probably a matchup question. It probably depends on home and away. Brios has been really actually quite good at the Rogers Center for the most part. Um, so is Ross Stripling, but uh, that might factor into it. it. It might factor into, like, a lot of different things. Who's hot? Uh, if some if Brios had a great September, maybe it's not much of a conversation. But if they both did, like you actually probably 
want to talk about it. And maybe there's a scenario where you're using both of them, I guess, if it's a must win. But, uh, um, but yeah, I, the I answer think is that, all of them. <laughs> yeah, everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that, yeah, he's been, he's been really great. I mean, I would say that he's probably been like the unsung hero of the team. I was trying to think of it yesterday. Like who is, who is the guy that's like probably flown under the radar a little bit with the Jays, but they wouldn't be where they are without him. And I think, I think Ross Stripling is tops that list. Yeah, it's funny that he stepped in for Hunjin Ryu because I remember talking to him when he was with L.A. Um, and he pointed out Hunjin Ryu as a Dodger, you know, as a teammate, as someone he modeled his game after. Mm-hmm. And um, we used to wonder, you know, how Ryu did it in some ways because he was throwing 89, you know, and, and, and putting up good numbers. And Stripling's doing it the same way. And it's exactly right. He has command of all of his pitches to different quadrants. And yes, the changeup is interesting, um, but uh, and it's good, and it's his best pitch, and he's throwing it more often. So that's part of like why he's good this year. But why he's good generally is what you were saying about being able to command all his pitches to different quadrants, and that just allows you to be more, you know, make more adjustments, you know, think on the fly while you're in the game because you can do these different things. That may be part of. Uh, what Barrios' problem is is that uh, he, you know, he has good command of his certain pitches to certain quadrants, and that's why he's going to throw the high, the four seam high, even if Naylor likes the four seam high, you know, because Barrios is like, well, that's where I throw my four seam. <laughs> you know? uh, I don't think that he has as good natural command to the different the four different quadrants that that Stripling does. So, um, you know, I I I think that would be an interesting uh, discussion, but. Uh, thank God the Jays have him. <laughs> like it's, yeah, and and I think that's that was the idea behind Mitch White too. Is like we already said, you know, thank God we have this guy, and you know, Mitch White is you know a guy with options, and they did option him down at some point. But I think again with White, they're saying, you know, thank God we have him. You know, so I, there is no talk of Ricky Tideman coming up. No, I haven't heard that. I I think that he's kind of slowed <laughs> down, he's blowing a little bit. through the minor leagues. Yeah, I mean, it's also like, I haven't looked at it, but the, I think the Jays will have somewhat, I guess there'll be guys coming out, like Ross Stripling's a free agent, so he'll be coming off the 40-man, and uh, it's one of those things where it's, as, as exciting as it is, the teams oh, also have to manage 40-man, the 40-man, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and he's he wouldn't even be ha- have to be on it for years, right? He was only drafted right. a couple years ago, so... And he wouldn't have that many innings, probably. No, he's probably run no, out of innings. They said that he's yeah. only doing three at a time now in the in the AA. yeah. But that would be exciting. <laughs> it's kind of like a Shane McClanahan-esque move if they do it. <laughs> yeah, that would be exciting. I mean, maybe there's a scenario where Pearson gets up here at some point, but he's still working his way back, and that's a whole other conversation. That's more of a, he's more of a short reliever at this point. At this point, yeah, for sure. I think I've put Nate Pearson in the same bucket as uh, AJ Puck was in about a, a year ago for the A's, where it was kind of just like, I just want to see this guy get healthy. I don't care if it's one inning at a time. Let's just see what he can do. Hopefully they can get some short relief innings out of him uh, at some point. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's compare the Jays to the other teams that we expect to be in the AL playoff field. Because if you look at the Jays' offense, that's where they look as good as anybody else in the league. The thing that made them dangerous a year ago, the thing they're still doing really well right now, they have a lineup that does damage. It's not a lineup that strikes out a lot. It's built more in the mold of the peak Astros teams we've seen over the better part of the last five-plus years now. You know, so Caitlin, as you start to look at this team, they've got nine hitters. With a WRC plus over 100, that's with just minimum 200 plate appearances, so great depth in the lineup. And Alejandro Kirk, like this seems real. Like he seems like the guy that's taken a huge leap 
in this lineup and, and people that don't follow this team, people that don't play fantasy baseball might not be aware of who he is, but as unusual as it is when you see the height and the weight on the back of a baseball card or on a fan page or when you see this guy play for the first time, do you believe in him the more you get to see him? Because I am, I'm convinced that this is actually a legitimately good big league hitter and a guy that is going to be an impact bat for a long time. Yeah, in terms of impact bat, he definitely is who he is. And I think that was the the line on him as he was coming up the minor leagues. It was, this guy can hit. Like, it doesn't matter what you throw him. It doesn't matter what level he's at. He doesn't strike out much. He has a great eye at the play. I've joked, especially when he was like on his tear, like earlier in the season, kind of leading into the all-star game, which he ultimately made. But I sort of joked like Alejandro Kirk should just call his own balls and strikes because his, his eye is so good up there. Uh, And yeah, like he slowed down a little bit. I think he was just so incredible for the middle portion of the season, I guess that it was bound to come down a little bit. And certainly then pitchers take notice and start to pitch him differently. So he's definitely so down a little bit, but yeah, he's been, he's been again, another guy where the blue Jays wouldn't be without his bat, especially uh, when they were, when some other guys weren't um, performing to their peak levels, he really carried them for a while there. And he's, inserted himself in a, in a situation where they're using him as much as possible. So if he's not catching, he's often DHing. I would want, I would wonder if maybe some of the slowing down is attributing to, again, some fatigue level. He's still pretty young. This is his first full, I mean, he was in the he was in the majors last year, uh, but he missed some time with injuries. So this is his first real full test at the major league level. And he's taken on a lot, especially early on when Jansen was hurt. Jansen's been hurt quite a bit this year. And so Kirk has been taking a huge load in terms of the catching. Um, And so I'm sure there's some level of fatigue, but he looks good again. Like he's, he just like, when you need a big hit, he seems to come through more often than not. And the, the thing that I've talked to players about, him and what they like about him is this, he just does like all the little things. Well, like if you need to hit the other way, he can do it. He makes a lot of contact. He can hit sacrifice fly when you need that. Like he can do all those like little baseball things that like sometimes maybe don't get a ton of attention, like in the box score, but like other players on your team always notice that you're able to do that. You're able to make the right play when it matters. And so I think that's been really encouraging. The offense was obviously almost always going to be a thing with him. I think, but defensively he's looked really good I I think he's his framing has really improved um I think I've heard a lot of people talk about his framing especially on like low pitches has been really effective and defensively he's you know he's probably still got some work throwing out and game calling and all that kind of stuff but he's still so young I think he's only 23 so he's still got a lot of time to sort of learn those ins and outs and for catchers I think the game calling stuff especially at the major league level is probably the hardest to learn. I think it just takes a ton of reps to be able to do that. So, but I think overall the Jays have been so impressed with what he's been able to do this year. And I think he's the real deal. You know, I want to ask you about Bo Bichette because this isn't the season many of us were expecting from him. Strikeout rate has jumped up to a career worst, 24.6%, but he's still making a lot of hard contact. If you're looking at him and hoping for a late season rebound back to his pre 2022 power output, especially, is that still on the table? I think one thing that's really hurt him is the new ball. Um, you know, they it's not it's not like a completely new ball because they were using it last year, but this year they're using it 100% of the time, and it's a it's a deadened ball. He's an opposite field hitter at heart, and opposite field barrels and opposite field fly balls don't do as well as pulled fly balls. He's obviously learned to pull the ball over time, uh, but I just think those natural tendencies towards going opposite field. Uh, have heard him in the power department, and and then on top of that, uh, just uh, just a, I mean, honestly, just a poor sense of the zone, I think, or 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 maybe just a poor sense of like his ability to do damage on pitches outside of the zone. Um, like he just he he thinks he can take those pitches and do something with them, and in the past he's been able to. Uh, so hopefully there's a learning process because as you see, uh, he's chasing balls outside the zone less than he has in the past. And that's the main place that I'm looking for him to improve uh, going forward. A little more patience, a little more sense of the zone because he still barrels the ball well, still makes good contact, 
Um, I don't know what's going on in the base pass for him this year. It's a little strange um, that he seems to have lost after being a like a 90% effective base runner, uh, trying to steal bases this year. He's been caught as many times as he's as he's taken off. That's a little strange to me. Uh, but there's a lot of the stuff is there still for him to have a second chapter in his career uh, that's as good as his first. I just need him to kind of improve his plate decisions. I almost wonder if it's the curse of a great hit tool. You can get to pitches that you shouldn't be able to hit, so then you swing at those pitches and make a lot of weak contact on those particular pitches, and that drags down the overall production. You know, thinking about this Jays team how they stack up to the Yankees and the Astros. They're 4-2 and two against the Astros this season. They've already played the Yankees 16 times. They went 7-9 and nine against them so far. Caitlin, what's the gap between the Jays and the Yankees, if there is one? Like, What, what would be the, the, the biggest difficulty in matching up with those, those top two teams in the AL if they meet with the Jays in the postseason? I actually think the Jays, at their best, kind of match up well against the Yankees. It's strange, like... The Jays have almost more so struggled with pitchers that have like more like how do I put this like more like junk ball stuff in some ways like the Jays have struggled against left-handers which has kind of been a weird thing because they are a stacked right-handed lineup but for whatever reason this year they have just not been able to do damage against left-handed starters for the most part um but i think overall just left-handed pitchers to the extent that you would think which is funny like why the conversation about like them balancing their lineup and getting a left-handed hitter was like funny because on the way like i think that it would be still effective because it makes the opposite opposition pitch differently or if you've got to mix it up and you're not just facing right-handers and the jays right-handers also all profile kind of very similar so if you threw in like a left-handed bat but at the same time like they just they hit righties really well. Like it's, it's left-handers that they don't hit um, great right now, but honestly, like the Jays have always handled Garrett Cole really well. Um, they handled Frankie Montas really well. The, the other night um, they kind of match up well against some of the Yankees starters, I think, and that I, I think they, they can hit velocity. They can hit that kind of stuff. So I think at their best offensive, offensively they kind of match up well against the Yankees I would have said earlier in the season that the bullpen is a difference maker but I think the Yankees bullpen isn't as scary as it once looked um you know Chapman's been a bit of a wild card uh Clay Holmes I guess has struggled uh I think he's coming back from the IL soon but I I don't know like I think the Yankees bullpen I don't know that if it's taken a step back or if it's just like the weird like ups and downs that a bullpen naturally goes through. It might be that. So I would say like earlier in the season, that would have been the difference maker for me because I think the lineups profile similarly. I don't know if the Yankees, if the Jays is a little bit deeper, but only so much if they're all going. And we've seen the Jays be very streaky this year, this year as, as strong and, uh, and as good as the numbers are overall for their offense. We'll see periods where they just, don't look like that at all. Um, it's been weird. And I think the players haven't really been able to figure it out or, or, or maybe they have theories, but even like last night talking to Chapman, uh, Matt Chapman, he was just saying like, you know, there's no real rhyme or reason why our team has been streaky, but we haven't just had this like huge month. They've had like huge two weeks and then they kind of look so, so, and then they don't look so good. And then they all of a sudden look amazing. So it's been one of those weird years. And so I think the most important thing for the, for the Jays heading into the postseason is just to get in that good rhythm and, and have all things clicking at the same time. Cause I think honestly, when all things are clicking at the same time for them, like they match up really well against anyone like Houston, Houston's going to be tough. I would say like Houston, I would pick them as the best team out of the AL. I think that's probably not a controversial opinion right now, but uh, like their pull bends really good. Their starting pitching is really good and they have a really, really dangerous lineup. And I would say I would fear them against the Jays because I think that they have, all aspects of the roster clicking and they're really good. Um, but yeah, I think like the Yankees, I don't know, like to me watching the Jays play them recently in New York, like granted the Yankees were not doing well at that time. And the Jays were uh, performing pretty well coming out of their own slump. Um, but I just kind of like the way they match up against them and, and the Jays, uh, you know, Kevin Gosman and, and Alec Manoa and Ross Stripling, like, they pitched well against the Yankees this year. Barrios has as well. So I think the starting pitching is pretty even between those two teams. And yeah, the bullpen might be the difference maker. The Jays, they don't they don't have a lot of guys that 
just have wipeout strikeout stuff. That's sort of the limitation with the Jays. So we saw that in that last game in the Yankees series where Adam Simber, who doesn't give up a lot of home runs, but when he does, they go pretty far. Um, And so that was kind of the difference in that game. But the bullpen, honestly, for the Jays, they've been, they've been performing pretty well doing what they can do um, and, and being able to keep the ball in the ballpark most of the time. But having that lack of strikeout stuff is a little bit concerning for the postseason. Yeah. I think uh, you're right to point out the bullpens you know, I think bullpens are like the biggest source of chaos when it comes to predicting how a team will do in the next three weeks, four weeks. I think maybe big, one of the biggest forces of chaos year to year and, you know, in, in all of baseball, you know, bullpens and injuries. I think those are the two biggest source of chaos. And the reason I, I think about this a lot for the Yankees, and I think you kind of talked about this, but I thought the Yankees had like maybe the best bullpen in the game. Like if you had asked me, like literally... A month ago, I might have said that, you know, like before Michael King went down and mm-hmm. and, and going into the season, you know, uh, early in the season, Michael King, Chad Green, uh, Aroldis Chapman, Clay Holmes, like they just throw power arm after power arm at you with strikeouts and sinkers and four seamers. And, you know, it's 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 like and then did they go and get like an E for us? And you're like, oh, man, like this is a great bullpen. And like. I'm like, it's like two weeks since the trade that I'm like, who's going to close this game out? <laughs> <I know. laughs> they leave Clark Schmidt out for three innings to like, I mean, I like Clark Schmidt, but that's not who I thought would close the game out. You know, they're not even going to go to Chapman and it's Willie Peralta. And like, so that's the, that's when like people ask us to make predictions and you know, when we, when we, you know, have a segment on, on, on sizing up the contenders. And we're, when we try to prognosticate, we try to think about the future. The the dumbest, weirdest thing is always trying to figure out what a bullpen is going to look like. Because, <laughs> I yeah, I think the Astros bullpen looks good. They could have maybe one or two injuries. I mean, Presley's knee has been hurt, you know. They could have Presley's knee act up. He gets it drained. He's still trying to be out there, but the command goes. And then maybe Stanek goes down to injury and Naris gets one of his wild, you know, hairs up a nose where he doesn't have any command. And then all of a sudden you're like, God, this Astros bullpen. What were we thinking? Is this <laughs> yeah. a good bullpen at all? <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, I, you know, I think that's what separates some of these teams. Um, I would take some of the starting pitching over uh, the non Verlander part of the Astros, uh, you know, starting rotation. So uh, if Barrios could get right, there is a thing, there is like a possibility that the Blue Jays lose game one to Verlander uh, and then win the other games, you know. So um, I think that the, the, the class of the AL, um, and, I, and I may not include the winner of the Central in this at all, and think, I think the class of the AL is Toronto, Houston, and New York. Yeah. I think you can make a case for the Jays as, as being that third team, a very strong case. A big part of why we're talking about them so much on the show today, because I think they've been overshadowed all season by the Yankees having such a huge lead in the division. And that lead has been whittled away over the last you know, seven or eight weeks or so now. I mean, the Yankees, they're not playing great baseball right now. They did just take a two-game series from the Mets. Probably a big step in the right direction because they're headed to Oakland for a four-game series that starts on Thursday. Then they head down for a three-game set against the Angels, you could really end August on a high note and and get that gap back up to you know ten plus games. If you're the Yankees, mm-hmm. they're still almost certainly going to win the division, but they're they're just close enough now where the Yankees fans can sweat it out. And from afar, I love to uh, to see that. But the good news here for that bullpen, Clay Holmes should be back from the IL soon. Scott Efros also should be back relatively soon. And it sounds like for the rotation. Luis Severino is making pretty good progress trying to get back from the 60-day IL. He's eligible to return in mid-September. He was throwing 95 to 97 in a bullpen session on Tuesday. I saw that note from Marley Rivera over at ESPN. So I, I think if Severino is healthy, he's a huge difference maker for the Yankees. I mean, because he can go out and win games for you in October and take some of the pressure off that bullpen, which has had its depth really eroded with a lot of injuries. The other thing with the Yankees, it's kind of a wild card for me. Giancarlo Stanton supposed to come back for the start of that series against Oakland. I was surprised looking at his line just earlier today. 
He's hitting 228 with a 309 OBP and a 498 slugging percentage. It'd be the worst slash line, I believe, of Stanton's entire career if that holds. But he's still hitting the ball really hard. The plate skills still look pretty good. I think we're going to get good Giancarlo Stanton. And that's going to be a nice boost for the Yankees as well. So I know there's always that sort of palpable panic in the air when things start to get wobbly for the Yankees. But they can really do a lot here in the next 10 days to really right the ship. Don't don't forget to adjust for the new offensive reality of, of baseball in 2022. Yeah. Uh, that line that you just mentioned may not sound super exciting, but it's almost 30% better than league average. Jeez. That, <laughs> that's unbelievable. Yeah, it's pretty awful. He still looks like the same Stanton, the guy that hits the ridiculous missile home runs that are barely like above your shoulders. I mean, just... He he looks right, so I think coming off this Achilles injury, that's a big boost for them. But the AL wildcard race is better than expected, in part because I think the Mariners kind of put themselves on the same level as the AL East clubs. I think when you added Luis Castillo at the trade deadline, they became a lot more interesting. They've got a young team that's really clicked all season long. The Rays are playing really well right now. We think, I think we mentioned that maybe a week or two ago as a team that still looked pretty dangerous on paper, especially with their pitching. So as they get maybe healthier with their position players, that bodes really well. And then we still got the Orioles hanging around. They're 64 and 58 entering play on Wednesday. I already feel terrible about my prediction that the Red Sox would still hold on to win more games than the Orioles because the Orioles have things working right now. They're only two and a half games Orioles. back. You did. You were on yes. the Orioles. <laughs> I think it was the week that Katie Wu was on the show with us. You yeah. you both were smart and took the Orioles, and I said, no, come on. The Red Sox aren't this bad. Oh, maybe, maybe they are. You can actually, on the playoff odds uh, page on Fangraphs, you can change it so that you can see the seven-day change in playoff odds. Uh, and the Red Sox, in the last seven days... Uh, have subtracted 11% from their playoff odds. Love that. Pretty much uh, since the time of that prediction, that's yeah. what they've done. So really, really good work on on my part. But look, the <laughs> Orioles are just two and a half games behind the Jays and the Mariners. Do you think the other teams in the playoff race are taking the Orioles more seriously than many of us have throughout this season, Caitlin? Because they've been a pesky team all year, and it just seems they keep getting more and more confident the further into the season that they stay within arm's reach of a playoff spot. Yo, yeah, like they are, they're a contender at this point, honestly. Like, I don't think you can take them lightly. Like, I think I would still probably bet on them not making the postseason, just given like the teams that they're competing with and like the Rays and the Mariners and the Jays are probably in the best position to take those three wild card spots. But I think that they can't be taken lightly. If anything, they can be a disruptor. They can be a spoiler. They can maybe impact the, positions of those wildcard teams most immediate most impactful for the jays because they have a lot of games left against them still there's um a four game series coming up and then i know the jays end the season in baltimore as well which was could be super impactful like the jays could be playing for playoff position up to the last day of the season and maybe the orioles are still in it at that point and they're playing for their playoff lives who knows um so I think they're a really pesky team. That's a good way to describe them. Defensively, they're quite good. They've improved a lot in that regard. And offensively, they have a good lineup. And honestly, even last year, like they they could hit. Um, I remember watching their team last year and thinking like, oh, they can put up some runs. I remember they, for whatever reason, just hit Robbie Ray really well, which was like kind of strange because no one else hit him well last year except for the Orioles, essentially. Um, but they could kind of, put up runs and bunches a little bit. Maybe their offense was a bit streakier last year than it's been this year. I think it's probably taken a step in the right direction with some of those young rookies coming up. Um, Adley Rushman being sort of the main guy that's kind of gotten to them, them to this point, I think, and has been sort of the, the guy that's ignited this uh, second half surge for them. But they're, last year their pitching was just so awful. Like it was just, it was really did them in uh, consistently. I mean, I was there in Baltimore and the Jays scored like 22 runs in a game against them and like 44 runs over like three games or whatever it was crazy. Um, And so they just had no pitching last year starting or the bullpen this year, their starting is still kind of meh. I think uh, uh, overall, I think their numbers have been better lately but their bullpen is just great. Like they have a few guys, especially the back end of their bullpen, their leverage guys are really, really good. And so like when the Jays play them, it's like you better put up runs early 
or it's going to be hard to hit that bullpen. Like um, Bautista is just a huge human. I saw him the other day. He was doing like a, a hit like a, with MLB Network or something like that. And so he was standing on the J side where the camera is. And I was just like, that guy is like one of the biggest guys I've ever seen in my life. And I'm around Alec Manoa a lot. So um, <laughs> the, they just, they've been such a pesky team. I think they, I think like they're a tougher matchup for the Jays, honestly, than the Yankees are in some regard. Cause like I said, like the, the Orioles pitching is more crafty. Um, they're good at sort of like keeping the Jays off balance because of the stuff that they have. Whereas again, like with the Yankees, it's like they've got Cole just like throwing hard and the Jays can handle that. And so a couple days ago, or uh, I guess a week or so ago, like the Jays were in their worst fits of the year and they lost, I think, four or five straight to the Orioles. And then they finally kind of erupted in this one game. Ross Stripling had a perfect game until the seventh inning um, and the Jays scored like six runs that really got them going. Uh, and they've sort of been on a high ever since then. But like those games they have this easy stretch where I said they play like the angels and the Cubs and the pirates. And then they go to Baltimore for four. Like those four games are going to be crucial. I don't know where the Jays will be in the standings at that point. I don't know if the Orioles will maybe fall off a little bit before we get there, but looking ahead to those four games, it's going to be one's going to be a double header because a, a rain out happened, but like th- we might be in a situation where like the Jays and the Orioles could like trade position in those four games. If, you know, if the Orioles are still only like two games back or something. Yeah, the the Orioles, it's really weird. I was going to say, you know, their big chance is to uh, flip-flop with the Rays, but they don't play the Rays anymore. Uh, and the Orioles' non-division schedule is, is fairly light, except for, I think, six against the Astros. Mm-hmm. Um, they do get some Tigers and some A's, um, you know, but... Uh, it's really weird that they don't play the Rays anymore. They're done playing the Rays. So I think that's kind of meaningful because that's the place where I would give the Orioles the best chance to, to flip-flop. Um, but instead, it's going to be the Blue Jays because <laughs> they have all those games against the Blue Jays. Uh, mm-hmm. And the Rays can kind of, if the Orioles are going to play spoiler, the Rays can kind of float above that. And all of a sudden, the Blue Jays might be playing for the third uh, for the third uh, wild card, and that's um, that's tough too because uh, the seeding means that um, they wouldn't get a home playoff game. So uh, and the Jays have a lot of games left against the Rays too. They still have a cup a makeup game from the start of the year, so they have a series at home. I think that's four games, which includes a double header, and then I think they go to Tampa again for four games. So I believe they still have eight games left against the Rays. Yeah. And then I guess it's what seven games against the Orioles left. Yeah, and it's weird because the this you know this is where strength of schedule uh, numbers can kind of be deceiving. So it says that the Blue Jays have the best strength of schedule among the Rays and the Orioles. But the problem it says that is because partially they're looking at the projections for the Orioles and saying there's this this team is projected to be below 500. So they have so many games against the Orioles that that actually pushes their strength of schedule, rest of season strength of schedule, to 485, right? Um, and so that, I think, is deceptive because the maybe the rest of season projection for the Orioles aren't catching up to how good the actual Orioles are. Um, and so, yeah. you know, I think... Uh, because you can see that they're they're projecting a 400 team out of the Orioles, 407, um, and that would affect the Blue Jays' strength of schedule. But the reality is, this team looks like a, a decent team, the Orioles. So uh, it's yeah. going to come down to how the Blue Jays do the Orioles. I think for for their whole season. Um, yeah, which is crazy. Like, there's actually 10 games left. I just looked. I forgot yeah. about a home series against. The, so the, the Jays still have 10 games against the Baltimore Orioles, which like. In April, we were looking at that like, okay, there's here, here's how they can beef up their wins. But <laughs> yeah. no, it's, it's that's not no, the story anymore. Tough. I mean, maybe maybe they can. I mean, maybe it does even out. Maybe the Jays do just figure out the Baltimore Orioles by September, and they do string off a lot of wins against them. But yeah, there's a really there's a week in September where the Jays have that four game series against Tampa, or is it five games? Is it five? Oh, it's five games against Tampa with that double header in there. And then 
three games against Baltimore. Like that week in September is basically like make or break their playoff lives, I feel like. Yeah, that's a really important stretch. The Mariners rest of season schedule. Oh man, it's a bit of a cakewalk. Easy. It is so yeah. easy. I mean, I, I don't done mean to. The- I'm not. Don't mean to insult the Guardians, but uh, the the Guardians are probably the best team they're playing. They play the Padres for two and the Braves for three. But outside of that, it's a lot of Angels, White Sox, Tigers, Athletics, Royals, Rangers, Athletics again, Tigers. They finish with four against the Tigers. My lord, maybe the Mariners will be in the number one spot in the wild card. I've that's i i hadn't looked at that schedule before oh yeah it's like i think it's i guess a good thing if you're gonna put a glass half full on this for the blue jays and spin it this way is that their schedule is going to test them so much that if they can get through it it feels like they'll be playoff ready um on this at the same time maybe you don't want to be peaking at that point uh just to get into the playoffs it's weird it's like I don't know, like I don't know if the Jays will be like necessarily like fighting for that playoff lives. Maybe they're good enough to like get one of those three spots, but it certainly feels like it's gonna come down to the wire in terms of who they're gonna play, what seed they're gonna have, and as you say, if they're gonna have those home games or not. And the one two is gonna be kind of huge because it potentially is a Toronto to Seattle trip or Seattle to Toronto trip. And that's big. Like it's one thing if it's the Rays, it's pretty easy to get to Tampa from Toronto. It's not a huge travel day, but making that cross continent trip to Seattle, that's huge. That is borne out by the numbers. In fact, uh, one of the biggest sources of home field advantage uh, is how many time zones the opposing team had to cross before they got to you. So yeah, that is absolutely a truth. Uh, for me, I, I find it a lot easier uh, to go west uh, than to go east, but <laughs> that's just my, I can't go to bed earlier. I can go to bed later, but I can't go to bed earlier. <laughs> uh, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, but I do think, you know, I do think that that travel would be a big deal. And it is also, I think when we when we flash forward to the shows where we have to prognosticate over the postseason and people are talking about, oh, well, you know, this team with, had a better record than this team. You kind of have to remember how those records were won, you know, and how and what what opponents, uh, you know, they beat. Um, and, and, you know, maybe the Mariners will be the number one wild card, but maybe not the best wild card team. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. that's why you have to kind of sometimes look at some of the components about how good is the offense actually, how good is the starting rotation actually, how good is the bullpen actually, because wins. Yeah. I know wins are the final currency. You know, but they aren't necessarily the number one way to determine how good a team is. Yeah, the ALE seems to be the the best uh, test to see who the best teams are in terms of at this point, you don't really have a weak team in the division, quite honestly. Whereas in the AL West, you can kind of beat up on the Angels and the Rangers a little bit. And even in the set, I mean, the the A's, yeah. And and the central is just, yeah. The Royals and Tigers aren't happy with this. Yeah. And even the best teams there, you know, are, are, would be wild card contenders at best, you know? Yeah. And I've been confused by the twins. Sorry. I've been confused by the twins. I thought they had that wrapped up. I don't know what's been happening with them lately. I was there a couple weeks ago. They played the Jays really well and they've kind of fallen off a cliff since then. Buxton injury, some some weakness in the pen, I think. Uh, you know, it's yeah, it's, it's also injuries. not like you know compare the Twins to the Yankees, and I mean, or or the Blue Jays. It's, it's, they're not built as strongly. You know, it's just you kind of did player by player. You'd be like, oh, I'll take the I'll take the Blue Jay. I'll take the Blue Jay. I'll take the Blue Jay. <laughs> you know, what I mean? like where where are the positions where you you take the Twin? You know, yeah, maybe a couple of relievers here and there, but like. Their starting pitching, I think, is still a real big weakness for them. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Let's take a quick look at the NL side where I was very surprised to see this already pop up, but the Padres temporarily removed Josh Hader from the closer role, so they're giving him a little break. He hasn't pitched since Friday. We're recording this kind of midday Wednesday. It's been a pretty long break for him. Command just has not been there. This is a Padres team that immediately after their trade deadline binge, it seemed like all the momentum in the world was behind them. And that has been pretty quickly lost. And part of it is having breakdowns in the late innings. That's definitely uh, an issue that they have dealt with. And you look at this NL wildcard race. I mean, between, between the Padres, the Phillies, and the Brewers, You've got three teams for two spots because I think we're all pretty comfortable penciling in the loser of the NL East division race as an easy wild card. Mets, Braves, whoever doesn't win the division is clearly better than those other three teams. I look at this Padres team and I know they're improved. I just wonder if they if they're not going to take advantage of everything they were able to do because the the emotional loss of of not getting Tatis back. That seems like a pretty big deal on top of some other things that are starting to happen to this club. So, you know, are the the panicking members of Padres Twitter, are they actually right to be as worried as they are right now, despite all the moves that San Diego made just a few weeks back? I mean, it takes it takes a lot of winning to to clean out the ghosts, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know, and to, to some extent, I think it's like almost relevant to, you know, to, to the Blue Jays. It's like you kind of there's always this like, are they good enough? Are they good enough until they are, you know, until they just finally, you know, answer the questions, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, you know, the. I don't. I don't blame fans for asking questions. Like, you know, Ken and 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 Dennis and I wrote a whole, you know, trying to empty out those ghosts and trying to see like what happened. It was one of the worst collapses in baseball history last year. Um, and so they, you know, they're like, well, we we saw this last year. You know, like, you know, what is it gonna? It's just gonna happen again. You know, um, and uh, at the same time, uh, I would. Uh, say that they are a very good team even without Tatis and that uh Hayter is a very good pitcher that just hit some some bumps in 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 his in the road with command I think you know he's done this before where he's just can't find the plate for a little bit and then he's fine again I would think he's going to be fine again if you want to give him a little bit of space to find the plate again on a, in the eighth inning or something uh then that's that's okay but uh I'm not uh saying that a collapse is happening right now like I don't, I don't see that happening in real in real time. I think the uh, Phillies, Brewers, and Padres are all equally uh, strong teams with equal flaws. The Brewers' offense is a flaw. The Phillies' defense and bullpen is a flaw. The Padres' offense is a, a bit of a flaw, but they worked really hard to 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 better it. Um, and uh, more hard to better their problem than maybe any of the other three, the other two teams. Uh, you know, the Phillies did go get Brandon Marsh and Edwin Sosa to try and, you know, and David Robertson to try to deal with their issues. Uh, the Brewers. 
<laughs> nope, not really, not no. much. <laughs> no, but uh... I think I think of all the, of these three teams. If if you want to like quantify reasonable worry, I think Brewers fans have the right to be the most concerned. I think it's the most justified there. I think the Phillies and Padres look a tick better to me. I think even without Tatis coming back, that Padres offense should find its stride. I do think Hater is fixable, and I think Bryce Harper coming back for the Phillies. They've weathered the absence of Bryce Harper better than many people expected them to. I think that gives them a massive boost here in the near future. So it's fair to question. So the, 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 the Brewers fired Andy Haynes and they were like, oh yeah, you know, ostensibly by firing Andy Haynes saying we can coach our hitters to be better hitters. It's, it's, there's some coaching things that are going on here. I don't know, man. They're still not great hitters. You even found some hitters. Like Rowdy Telez wasn't even uh, like playing. Was he playing for them last year, or was he did they just he acquired got him? Yep, it was, it was like last at the year. end of the season. But it was mid-season for Trevor Richards. Yeah, that base swap. Yeah, they, they, all I'm saying is they found a hitter and they still need more hitting. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and they keep trying, and they they found Willie Domus, and they keep trying, and then. But they, I don't know, they either either their acquisition model for hitters is flawed or uh, maybe their new coach is, is not as good. I mean, I, I have all the respect for Andy Haynes. I don't think it was his fault, is my point. You know, they, they're still having trouble hitting. That division isn't, it shouldn't be that hard to hit in that division. And that park. <laughs> yeah. No, hundred percent agree. I think it's, it's a classic example of the hitting coach being the scapegoat for expectations for the club not being met that happens a lot hitting coaches and pitching coaches often take the the axe as a result of, of a team falling just short the other big story in the nl right now has to be albert pujols though the recent home run binge he's on gives him a shot it is at least a shot at 700 home runs by the end of the season i didn't think that was possible at all in fact i remember last year when the angels parted ways with albert pujols and the dodgers swooped in to add him to their roster I remember laughing about that, thinking, what on earth are they doing? This is a really smart team. Why would they bring in Albert Pujols? And we learned pretty quickly using him mostly against lefties in a part-time role and then the value he was bringing to the clubhouse. It actually was a great decision by the Dodgers to do that. Despite seeing that success, I thought, okay, this is it for Pujols. Comes back to St. Louis. (laughs) I thought, okay, yeah, sure. Maybe by the middle of the season, you know, Pujols is off the roster and it's, it's truly the end of the road. Now, here we are sitting here on August 24th in that part-time role, 14 homers, a 277-352-529 line for Pujols. We've turned back the clock from a slash line perspective pretty much a decade. I realize he was an everyday player the last time he was at this level, but this is remarkable if this is happening. It's the sort of thing that we don't get to see very often with Hall of Fame caliber players who are often just kind of pushed out with an unceremonious release or are playing once or twice a week on a bad team. This is a guy that's actually coming up with clutch plate appearances on a team that will probably win its division and could do a lot of damage in October. It's one of the best baseball stories of the year and probably one of the most unexpected ones too. The line that I look at is versus lefties this year. He has a 398 average of 436 on base percentage and an 807 slugging. That's a one, two OPS against righties this year. He has a 186 average, a 289 OBP and a 322 slugging. If you're an opposing manager, why on earth do you ever let Albert Pujols hit your hit against your lefty? I guess it would have to those you know the first couple of appearances against the starter or something. But uh, if you have any opportunity to to turn the pitcher around uh, on Albert Pujols, please do that in the future. Otherwise, uh, he's going to keep smacking these homers. But I I I love round numbers. I love you know I was a big fan of Frank Thomas because he always had the 400 on base percentage and the 500 slugging at least you know um, you know I love those round numbers I love that he's on a chase for 700 home 700 homers and he now has a chance to do it he just needs seven homers he's projected for four you know he just needs to outdo his projections by three homers and. You know, he's got a whole of five weeks to do it. I'm, you know, I'm super, super into that, you know, because I do actually believe him. I don't think he wants to come back, you know, for a half season to try and hit a 700 homer. I think he wants to, you know, hit that one into the night uh, in a Cardinals win and, and push them, you know, into the playoffs. 
Yeah, I think like it wouldn't it wouldn't even be as special if he came back for like a month or two next year just to get 700. It kind of takes away from it. I think what gives that number and like that milestone significance is doing it during basically his career. So obviously he's already kind of extended his career this year. I think maybe there were some questions if he would come back this year and it was the perfect fit with the Cardinals. It's that storybook story and the way that they've been playing now somewhat separating themselves in that central division looks like they're going to be in a good position to, to win that division. I think Um, as we were just talking about the Brewers not being, you know, as, as good as uh, they could be with the offense. So it it just is a perfect storybook ending to his career um, to the, the journey with the Cardinals. And like I said, I mean, I don't even follow the NL that closely and I'm sort of peeking over and seeing if he's going to do it. I remember being in Toronto last year with um, Cabrera hitting his 500 um, and it happens uh, late in the season and it's a different scenario because the Tigers don't, didn't have really much to root for that year. So it's just kind of about him and, and those milestones. So it's actually even more fun yeah. when you have, you have the Cardinals, like they're rooting to win the division uh, or their fans are rooting to win the division. They've got a good team. They look like they're going to be strong heading into the postseason. They've got all these good stories now with like Jordan Montgomery being amazing since he got traded there and all this other stuff. And then like on top of that, you've got like a legend trying to hit this like amazing milestone. That would just like be the cherry on top of what's been a really good season there, um, especially in the second half. Yeah, starting to feel like one of those seasons for the Cardinals, which uh, yeah, as someone that has rooted <laughs> against them for a long time, <laughs> I know that feeling all too well. But it really is a great story. Five straight seasons of, of being a below average hitter when you know that was really the only thing that Albert could offer and then to bounce back to this level is, is really amazing. So I'm actually hoping he gets there. I hope he gets the 700 by the end of the season. He's so slow that the bat, the third baseman can stand like four or five steps back from where he normally stands, and uh, all the infielders can do the same basically, and that that basically eradicates singles for him. So what he's doing is even more impressive to me. Like that's why I kind of love analytics. It's like that's a that's like a dorky thing, right? But it tells you that like the teams are doing something that t- totally eradicates singles for him. And he's still hitting over 300 against lefties. You know, like he's still doing so well when all he can do is walk or hit a homer. You know? <laughs> so, uh, you know, I think, I think uh, the numbers all just add to the story and, and make it even more fun. Yeah, absolutely. We need to go before we go. A quick few things to pass along. Give Caitlin a follow on Twitter at Caitlin C. McGrath. That's very important. The C is very important. You got to spell Caitlin right, too. It'll be in the show notes. If you don't follow her already, find Eno on Twitter at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. If you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, you can get one for a dollar a month for the first six months at theathletic.com slash baseball show. That's all of our team coverage, all of our coverage heading into the postseason. And of course, if you play fantasy football, you're excited about football season or other sports, we've got that covered right now as well. That's going to do it for this episode of The Athletic Baseball Show. We are back with you on Friday. Three, it's the magic number.